You're listening to the Bible Roots Podcast with Pastor Randy Frazee. If you're a church leader looking for creative ideas to help your church engage more deeply with the Bible, this podcast is for you. And now, for today's episode. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 7 of the Bible Roots podcast. My name is Randy Frazee, and I get to be the host of this wonderful new show. This podcast is devoted to the topic of Bible engagement. Why? Because Bible engagement is the number one catalyst for spiritual growth with no close second. Check out episode one, where we lay out this discovery and then keep listening up through and beyond episode seven, our episode today. If you're a pastor or responsible for leading people spiritually through a small group, your family, or even one-on-one discipleship or coaching, this podcast is for you. And we would encourage you to share it with others you know in that same space. Now today, my guest is my good friend, Mark Batterson, and I am so excited, beyond excited about this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Mark if you don't know who he is, or all three of you. Mark Batterson serves as the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, DC, one church with many locations. NCC is focused on reaching emerging generations and meets in theaters throughout the DC metro area. NCC also owns and operates Ebenezer's Coffee House, the Miracle Theater, as well as the DC Dream Center. NCC is also developing or redeveloping a city block located at the intersection of Capitol Hill, Navy Yard, and Riverfront neighborhoods. The Capitol Turnaround will be a mixed-use space, including event, uh, venue, child development center, marketplace, and co-working space. Mark holds a doctorate of ministry from Regent University and is a New York Times bestselling author of 19 books, including The Circle Maker, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, Wild Goose Chase, and has recently released Double Blessing, Whisper, and Play the Man. Mark is married to Laura, and they live on Capitol Hill with their three children, Parker, Summer, and Josiah. And I know all of you are asking, so what does Mark do with all of his spare time? (laughs) That's pretty crazy. (laughs) Hey, Mark, thank you, my friend. It's so great to reconnect with you again. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Randy. A joy to be with you. And uh, I I love the Bible. And Mm -hmm. so I I love conversations about the Bible. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think you said number one catalyst for spiritual growth, no close second. And I'll just say off of the top, my daily Bible reading plan has been a lifeline for me over the last couple of years. So I'm excited about this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Mark. You know, it was so cool when I reached out to you. I know you're super busy and you immediately got back like, I'm all in, Frazee. Let's do this. Hey, let's go back because we had a chance to be together. You know, as as COVID was opening back up, we were together at a church planner conference in Colorado. We can certainly chat about that. But I remember uh, years ago when we met, like a million years ago, back when the Dead Sea was just sick, I like to say, Uh, (laughs) you know, it was in the Zondervan headquarters is the first time I remember you and I encountering each other. You may or may not remember that. you were, and I were both quite a bit younger back then, and we were starting off in our writing adventures, and uh, and we met, and I have just so much enjoyed, you know, kind of paralleling ministry with you. I think I may be a little bit older than you, even though I look younger, I think. I'm just joking. Man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but tell us about your upbringing, just for everybody to get to know Mark Batterson, your upbringing and kind of your call into ministry. Yeah, I'm a Midwest guy, born in Minneapolis, lived in Wisconsin, uh, grew up in the Chicago area, tried to uh, plant a church at the ripe old age of 22, Randy, you, <laughs> when you have everything all figured out. How could that go uh, wrong? Actually, actually had a 25-year plan for a church plant that my professor gave me an A on, so it has to work, right? Why not? It did not work. Uh, We fell flat on our faces. That first attempt was a fail, but that's what kind of opened us up to go anywhere and do anything. And so uh, my wife and I packed up a U-Haul, moved to Washington, D.C., and we've been here ever since. We've had the joy of leading a national community church, started with a core group of 19 people, and we've been at it for a quarter century now. Time flies when you're having fun. But I, I will say this, I believe in long obedience in the same direction. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you, um, you know, I, I think you, you tend to 
you over-exaggerate what you can do in a year or two, but you underappreciate what yeah. God can do in 10 or 20. Yeah. And so mm. you, you've got to dream big. You have to think long. You have to pray hard. And when those three things come together, God has a way of doing something that you can't take credit for. So uh, we're a multi-site church, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, Capitol Hill is is our genesis, our origin, and that's kind of where we live and where we're building out this city block. But then we have uh, some opportunity to serve all around the city, including a DC Dream Center in Ward 7, which is a high-impact ministry that we've had the joy of uh, building and launching. And so some good some good things happening, despite what we see on the news every night. Yeah. Uh, some really good things happening here in DC uh, and under current of spirituality that we're, we're believing for revival in the nation's capital. Yeah. Well, first of all, Mark, your commitment to DC area is amazing. And, and I think this is kind of a bonus axiom for people beyond Bible engagement is what you said about sort of the, that long obedience. Uh, I think that, that it's, it's known by those of us who are a, bit, a little further into ministry is that sometimes we quit right before, you know, a blessing is starting to come. And sometimes you just got to like, you know, just hold on to the plow. Hey, I want to talk about, uh, cause I have a son. I think we talked, we talked about this. We're going to come to uh, NCC in the first of uh, June with my son and my daughter-in-law. Uh, they are, right in the thick of DC. My son is a litigator right across the street from the White House, 1717 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's pretty doggone close. And wow. my, my uh, daughter-in-law is, a, is a, a producer for the News Hour at PBS, and they are right in the middle of it. And it's interesting, okay? So they've been there now, boy, a number of years now, but both of them were raised in Texas, okay? Where I got to pastor for, oh, well, uh, maybe about 30 years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, then San Antonio. And you're in DC. And so this concept of um, it'd be really helpful to talk about what it's like to engage the scriptures uh, in D.C. How is it different than a place like uh, Texas, which is quite a bit different? You know, how is it important? I said here in the notes, how is it important to be like a son of Issachar today? So mm. give us your perspective on the difference between engaging the Bible with the two different audiences. Well, the, the good news is, is that the Bible is omni-relevant. Mm. Uh, we don't just read it, it reads us. And the fact that it has stood the test of time and from Texas to D.C. to really any language, you know, the, the word gets incarnated in a way that uh, has such profound impact. I, I do think you know, I, I, I don't like using big fancy words, but occasionally I know one or two that I'll throw okay. out. And, you know, one of them is this idea of eisegesis that mm -hmm. we tend to read into the text, our personality, uh, our history. And we have to be really careful and guard against that. At the same time, I think you're asking a, a brilliant question that DC has a very different personality and history than say Dallas or uh, San Antonio or any place else. And so you do have to really be a, a student. I've studied the history of this city. Uh, you have to know what the strongholds are. And, and by, by the way, on, on that note, when you start discovering the history, it, it sometimes adds a little oomph to what you're doing. This city block that I described that we own, that we're building out, it sits at the intersection of 8th and M Street which is across the street from the historic entrance, the Latrobe Gate of the Navy Yard, which was established in 1799 by Thomas Jefferson. It is the original gateway to the nation's capital. So look at what the Lord's done. He's given us a, a corner of the gateway and our prayer room uh, is right on that intersection. And so he, here we are. And, and then you start reading, like in my daily Bible reading plan, I was reading about Shalom, the uh, chief gatekeeper. Uh, mm -hmm. This is like in the, the depths of, I think, first Kings or yeah. second Kings. Mm -hmm. And, and you start connecting the dots and seeing that, okay, well, you know, Every city has gateways. You, you need to have a theology of this city, you know, and then you start thinking about Jeremiah 29, that you build houses and you plant gardens because you got to have a 70 year perspective and do things that make a difference to the third and fourth generation. So now I'm just riffing a little bit, but no, at least good, that's, that's kind of wetting our appetite. So DC is a very unique place to do ministry and understanding, for, for example, political correctness 
this is the this is the epicenter. Well, if I have to choose between biblical correctness and political correctness, I'm going to choose biblical correctness seven days a week and twice on Sunday. So, um, but but we've got to have we got to live in that tension, uh, so to speak. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Mark, uh, whether you're in Texas or in D.C., we've got this issue now where our there's an ideology and a theology, and so uh, the ideology some are saying is even becoming it's a religion, a religion apart from something like Christianity or Islam or or, or Judaism. You know, ideology is becoming a religion, and and I think at my time in Texas, 30 years in Texas, is that sometimes I felt like. Uh, the believers were reading the scriptures through a political ideology, and they were more committed and are more committed to that than they are uh, the theology. And 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 yet, it's I think it's similar, isn't it? To in D.C., uh, sometimes where it's a bit it's a bit challenging. Yeah, well, I think that's spot on. You know, we we are a church that tries to reach across the political aisle. That's not easy to do because the polarization is so intense right now. But I would say this, that if you filter your, your biblical theology through your political ideology, it's called idolatry. Yes. And, and so um, we've got to make sure that we're flipping that and realize that, you know, we have blind spots and there are sight lines that we maybe don't see. And I, I'm just I'm so grieved, Randy, by we, we have lost civility. And, yeah. and civility really is grace in the public square. And so, you know, th this is, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I just think it's interesting that I think for like every Supreme Court nominee for the last 17 years, no one from the other party has voted for someone who was nominated by the other party. No one. Yeah. Well, that right there shows that, that, that it's along political lines that we draw these things. And um, I, I think we've got to realize that we are first and foremost citizens of a heavenly kingdom. There you go. And, and recognize that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And, you know, I, I think all of those things kind of mix together. But boy, does our biblical theology have to be on point right about now. Yeah, and it's so important for uh, young pastors emerging to be intrigued and, and fascinated and passionate about biblical theology uh, and, and make sure, because what you said, and I want to make sure everyone hears this because it was spot on, I agree with you 100%, is that when you're reading your theology through your ideology, it's idolatry. We think of idolatry as being like some sort of statute somewhere like in the Old Testament, but is the modern day, and, and, and discipling your people through that can be challenging, like during COVID, you know, with mask or no mask, should you meet or or not meet? Uh, what about the George Floyd race? And a lot of us pastors step got 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 didn't really know our biblical theology and started even talking out of ideologies. And we had a lot of people in around America leave churches over maybe maybe some missteps we made. Or what do you think about all that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think we got a little out of our depth and. I, you know, Randy, I, I believe every ology is a branch of theology. Yeah. And so, like, I, I think, like, for example, if you don't have a basic understanding of neurology, you're, you're not going to appreciate the healing of the man born blind, because this is not an astigmatism. Uh, this is someone, there, there was no synaptic connection between the optic nerve and visual cortex in the brain. So this yeah. is synaptogenesis. Yeah. What I'm getting at is... I really think that we could afford to be a little bit more studied and versed yeah. in other ologies, but yeah. then make sure that the epicenter is our theology and that that's where we, that's where we put our stake that, you know, it's the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral that yes, reason, experience, tradition, those things inform our faith, but scripture is the final authority when it comes to matters of, of faith and doctrine. And so that that's where that sequence becomes really critical, especially in a culture where we have ideologies that most of us, Randy, we have a very superficial understanding of, of, of those. And probably we underestimate the, the impact they have. In fact, 
Could I dig a little deeper on yeah, one of them? Go for it, man. Go for it. Yeah. Let, let, I, I want to, uh, I want to dig with you, man. I got my, my, my mind is popping. So this is dangerous, mm -hmm. but evolution is one of those trigger words. Uh -huh. the, the reality is to me, micro evolution, this ability to evolve is a total testament to the creativity of God That's right. that, that he designed us in a way that we can grow and, and evolve. I believe that uh, God in the beginning created out of dust and breathed the breath of life. I have no doubt about that. So I have issues with the, the macro piece. And so let, let me poke at Darwinism for a second. Yeah, go for it. The challenge with it is that if you believe in a lowly origin, like we, we have a high view of everyone's created in the image of God, like you are invaluable, irreplaceable. Uh, in fact, the Talmud, uh, Jewish commentary on the Old Testament says, yeah, if yeah. you save one life, it's like you save a whole universe. So we have this incredible dignity of life mm. view. Well, Darwinism, if everything is random chance, I, it, there, there's just so much logical fallacy and circular reasoning. And, and then subliminally, it sends this message that, I mean, who's to say what's valued and what's not. And it has this subconscious effect on a culture where you don't value life the way that you could or should. And so that that's an example of an ideology that just gets into the soul of a culture and can have detrimental effects beyond what, what we appreciate. And, and I would be the first person to admit, Randy, too, that sometimes Christians are so narrow-minded, like we're not, we don't even study science. Well, Einstein said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Yeah. So let, let's both end it and, uh, and, and understand and stay humble. Yeah. Um, in the whole process. So I don't even know what, what we just talked about, but no, that's there, good. There now, you Jay, have it. No, it's very important because we, we got into this because of the complexity And my, like I said, my son and, and uh, uh, daughter-in-law are very educated and uh, they moved to DC with a very strong faith. They still have a strong faith, but the way they navigate it is they've become better listeners. They've become more open-minded. It hasn't necessarily let their theology uh, really shift them. And I remember even years ago, a, a an atheist started coming to our church. He had two sons, uh, three sons that he wanted to have kind of a moral foundation. He wasn't, but he decided to stay at the church and kind of listen to the sermon. He wasn't opposed to it. You know, he's not into miracles. And, and uh, I decided to do a message out of uh, Philip Schroeder's book uh, years ago, The Science of God, and a great book from an astrophysicist. And he just proposed how to reconcile the six days of literal creation, Yom, Hebrew days, you know, with, you know, with, with what maybe actually happened through an evolutionary process. And, and I just proposed it as a potential idea. I'm here in Texas. And so I've got people that are like, man, it's six literal days. It's got to be that or you're a heretic. And then I've got this guy here. I just, I didn't present it as one or the other. I just said, here's something that might even make you think God's even bigger that it's really not naturalistic evolution, but it's really theistic evolution that God has been, because he found a, because time, you know, uh, unfolds slower in different places in the universe. And he picked uh, one of his billions of universes, which we now can scientifically prove to measure time that's uh, unfolding at the same time as it does on earth. And, and six days of, of creation were actually true. And I just presented it and I didn't present it as though I believed it. I just presented it as a point of intrigue. And mm. this guy, this guy said, he said, that was it. You removed, you removed my barrier, man. And once you did that, I had nothing wow. to, else to do, but to uh, pursue the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only thing was left. You took wow. that away from me. The guy became a believer and grew like crazy. And I just about two months ago, uh, he passed away from ALS and he relied on the resurrection to lead him into Christ. And now he was relying, he said at his death on his resurrection through Christ. And uh, it was a good example of how you have to listen and be educated to teach to a modern post-secular society in Texas who listen more to Fox News, you know, except in Austin and way more of the people are in DC, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So good. And, you know, could we have a little bit more humility? Re re recorded history, recorded human history is only 5,000 years. Yeah. Recorded human history, only 5,000 years. Mm -hmm. we, 
And we know so little. I mean, we have hieroglyphics, so we know a little bit about Egyptian culture. But let's be honest, we know so little about 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 years ago, much less how that all happened when God said, let there be light. Somehow those words started traveling at 186,000 miles per second and, and left creation in its wake. And so what an amazing miracle we get to live day in and day out. And I think sometimes we just get so bent out of shape by, you know, a, a literal where maybe it could be figure, figurative. And I understand with higher criticism and the concerns of the slippery slope where yep. what, well, what if we start dialing back on what we believe about this or that or the other thing? I totally understand that. Yeah. But I think sometimes we, we have a straw man argument for things that mm, we're, we're wasting energy where we don't need to. Absolutely. I think that what you're really talking about is not what you believe or don't believe here in this podcast. What you're saying to talking to is about how you teach today to a post Christian uh, society, how you teach to a group of people that their ideology has overcome their theology. And I think just, you know, probing these things and being much more knowledgeable of theologies is going to is going to really help us gain a, a, a greater audience to know that we're listening to them is is for sure. Yeah, and it's that Romans 1 that God reveals his nature, his divine qualities through what he's created. And so it's a a holistic approach uh, with a high view of scripture. And when we do that, when we, God first reveals himself as creator. And I think that's, that's the door that many people come into faith through that that creation door as well as um of course the the cross or redemption door and there there are other doors but wow what a fun conversation yeah yeah well you and i could uh, geek out on theology all day long my friend hey i'm going to take us out of the atmosphere down to something super practical about bible engagement you as a as a lead pastor um on how do you select your teaching topics and how do you how do you do so like uh, it related to where you're trying to take the congregation. In other words, do you consider kind of where NCC is at, where the community's at first, and then select your topics? So when you selected your topics for this year, how did you go about? Uh, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, it's um, well. There, there's 26 years of doing it, mm-hmm. so you know there there are always. I'm an ideator. and you know about 90 percent of our sermon series over over. 25 years would kind of come out of my head and my heart. And then our creative team, our campus pastors, others would, you know, maybe be that other 10%. I, the primary hat I wear is the teaching pastor hat. Yeah. So what we do is uh, we gather every fall and kind of identify where are the strengths and weaknesses. You almost do a SWOT analysis of the congregation. Yeah. Of where the congregation is spiritually. Mm -hmm. And we used to survey. Yeah, uh, we would throw kind of pitch sermon series ideas. We haven't done that in a long time. But by the way, we wouldn't just pick the series that that got the highest survey response. The ones that got very little response, we realized, ah, uh, maybe those are things we should be talking about too, because people don't want to <laughs> hear about it. They don't want to hear about the seven um, woes of Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's an awesome responsibility, isn't it, Randy, to yeah. kind of plan out a teaching diet now. I want to be careful here, though. Let me take a little bit of pressure off. Uh, Every pastor has had this experience of someone coming and saying that they're going to leave the church because they aren't being fed. Yes. Now, I have two reactions to that. And and I I hope we're some of you are listening. We're just getting to know each other. So please hear my heart in this. I'm having a little bit of fun. But I want to say to them, like my kids learned how to feed themselves when they were two. Mm. Like that's that's on you, dude. Yeah. The, the only ceiling on your intimacy with God and impact on the world is daily spiritual disciplines. You've got to be in the word day in and day out. Like if you're relying on one meal a week that where I'm feeding you, oh, you're, you're going to starve to death because that was never the way it was designed to be. Now, I certainly want to rightly divide, divide the word. I want to help teach the word. But at the end of the day, Randy, I'm preaching less to feed people these days and more praying that it would, that people would have 
an insatiable hunger for the word of God that no sermon can satisfy. Wow. In other words, yeah. go get into the book yourself and, uh, and, you know, get a daily Bible reading plan and start digging in. And, but in, you know, in terms of sermon series, we, you know, we, we began the year, uh, it's time to dream again. We just felt strongly in our spirit that we've been doing a lot of languishing, a lot of reacting mm -hmm. and, uh, acts two seventeen. if you're filled with the spirit, you're going to dream some dreams. Yeah. Uh, and then we went into a series on love in February that kind of plays off of this idea of Valentine's day, but much deeper than that. Our prayer was we need to fall in love with God all over again. And mm -hmm. if we do that, we're going to be good to go. That's the, you know, the do what you did at first revelation two. And then we just came out of a series on Esther about courage because our hunch is that yeah. we are now a creative minority and a moral minority in America as the church. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a little bit more courage to hold to biblical convictions in the days to come. And no one needs to fear that. That's how the early church operated. That's when we're at our best. And so we, we then begin to kind of discern uh, how do we teach the full counsel, the full gospel, old new Testament, uh, try to get some book studies in there as well as a few topical series. And uh, the next thing you know, we have a teaching plan for the year, but I mean, it's crazy. Like you only get 52 weekends and let's be honest, only the pastors come in 52 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go there um, next. Um, okay. Because historically, you know, sermons are weekly. You just mentioned that. Yep. And our people are committed, you know, with their schedules, you know, before COVID, it was, you know, 1.7 times a month was a, you know, uh, considered a super committed person. Mm. Um, but it's really hard when you only have them for one hour a week. Yep. And then for, and for most people, it's not all every week, it's maybe 1.7, maybe two. And then you've got this rise of digital communication, which is 24 seven on demand. Yep. And so I've, I, I follow you pretty closely, Mark. So I already know some of the answers to this for, for you, but I want you to kind of spell them out. You know, like, how do you respond to this? We got, uh, you know, Google searches where people are searching, you know, my marriage is in trouble and up comes uh, the first on the first page comes, you know, divorce lawyers. That's what comes up, not our message. And, uh, you know, and so we've got an opportunity through social media to speak to people, you know, 24 seven. And I know you do some of that stuff to go beyond that. Uh, even though by this time, Hebrew says you should be teachers of the word, you know, you should, you know, you, you should have learned how to feed yourself two years in. We do have this challenge that we don't get as much time with people as information's coming at them. How do you, how do you handle all that? Well, we've tried to never revolve too much around the weekend. I'm not saying it's not significant. It is. But we've always been a church of small groups, hundreds of groups that meet during the week, Monday to Friday. During COVID, we launched something called the Upper Zoom, yes, uh, fun play on the upper room. Yeah. And uh, so we do a digital prayer gathering. We went to something called the NCC Daily, where we have kind of a daily touch point with people. So we tried to mix up and change our rhythms a, a little bit. I think we're going to have to let the dust settle here for a couple of years to figure out where, where the church heads, but I I'm old enough to know that the church church history is a swinging pendulum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll pick on worship, for example, you know, hymns are the end all be all. And then, then the next thing, you know, there's a pendulum swing into, well, it's, it's worship courses. It's more of a modern take. And then guess what? It'll swing back where hymns are now innovative again. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we overreact to a lot of things. I, I do think, you know, uh, the internet's here to stay. Uh, you know, <laughs> you think? Um, I think so. I, um, you know, call me a prophet prognosticator, but, um, you know, and people will supplement their diet with the latest and greatest podcasts. And so we have a little bit different competition for the, the content is still King and we've got to up our game a little bit. You know, how, how do our messages compete with a Ted talk? Yeah. Um, we've got to be as researched as on point. And the good news is 
we have an unfair advantage and his name is the Holy Spirit. And so we, we speak a life giving word and that that's, that's a unique thing. His word doesn't return void. Uh, God is watching over his word to perform at Jeremiah one twelve. And so I, I think we need to have a little bit more confidence in God's word than maybe we have had yeah. and uh, let his word do the heavy lifting. Hi, this is Randy Frazee, host of the Bible Roots podcast, which is brought to you by my friends at Harper Christian Resources. Harper Christian Resources equips you to understand the scriptures, cultivate spiritual growth, and disciple your people with Bible study resources from today's most trusted voices. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm going to make two comments, and then I'm going to ask you another question here. Um, one, yeah, com- you know, there's enough TED Talks now where people can listen to them endlessly, and these people have f- focused on that TED Talk for like six months, you know, and they memorized it. And if you know, it's like you and I write a book, we travel and give the signature speech of our book, man, and everyone thinks we're amazing. But a pastor has to turn around to talk. You know, every six days he's back at zero again. Yes, but we do have the advantage of the Word of God, which is, I think the word of encouragement uh, to us. Hey, tell us a little bit about, I think people are super interested in what's your kind of rhythm in preparing uh, a talk? I mean, do you have like, do you you find yourself uh, some sort of a rhythm? Is it Monday, like a Monday through Friday thing, or is it maybe a bigger scope than that? Like how far out are you? That's kinds of things. It is. Let me zoom out and then I'll zoom in. Uh, You know, big, big picture. I did, you know, I read 3000 books before writing one. I think leaders are readers. I read once that every book, uh, the average author puts about two years of life experience into it. Yeah. So yeah. I figured if I read 200 books, I would gain 400 years of life experience, but only be a year older. <laughs> and so uh, I read thousands of books before writing one. Yeah. And when we come up with kind of our sermon series for the year, I start reading and researching now I keep doing my daily Bible reading plan and that's, that's a critical piece. I don't think you ever want your devotional life to turn into sermon prep. I, I think agree. there's a danger in that, but then, you know, we get kind of our, our weekly rhythm. We do a weekend planning meeting on Tuesdays where we're brainstorming and then Wednesday, Thursdays are study days for me. I, I literally can get 10 hours of study in and I kind of clear my calendar. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting at least 20 hours of study in for every message I'm doing. And most messages are like four messages. And then I have to p- figure out like which one of these four do I preach? Um, Cause I can, I can <laughs> preach about uh, you know, I can preach about six, six pages. I might as well show and tell this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this will encourage what, people. Yeah. For what it's, it. for what it's worth, I print mine out landscape on an eight and a half by 11. Huh. And I had a father-in-law who pastored for 31 years who, you know, um, he, he would do it longhand. And so I took a cue from him. And so I'll, I'll take this into the pulpit with me and I manuscript everything because I'm not good enough to yeah. speak extemporaneously. And, and then, um, you know, once I have that message, then I'll watch it back. I'll tweak it for that next service and, and, uh, and then, and then it starts all over again. Although I have to say, we do have a teaching team at this point. You know, I used to do 48, 50 yeah, I, a year, I remember. Um, but our teaching team, what, what that allows us to do is bring different personalities and histories to the pulpit that, that people may, you know, it, it has a little bit different effect that, you know, so that teaching team approach is, is a part of our, uh, methodology, if you will, at NCC, but uh, that's that's the long and short of it. No, it's um, fantastic. Yeah, you, you you held up one. It was with those uh, that landscape page. Was that yeah. um, the whole thing, or do you have more than one of those? Uh, so it would be it. The average message would be I can preach six pages in thirty six, minutes. So six of those yep. uh, landscape pages. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. do my pages versus word count. I'm a word count guy. You know? Yep. I, uh, well, I use the same font, the same font size and the same margins. So I've, I know, I know I can get six pages in, in 30 minutes. And, and, uh, so that's just, you know, and we're creatures of habit. It's so funny. Everybody has their own. And by the way, my, my prayer before going into the pulpit is Lord, help me help people. Yeah, I've prayed that prayer thousands of times because part of it, Randy, is I want to get my my focus off of myself. Yes, yes. Because everybody like 
I can't be concerned about how people are going to perceive me. Oh, are they going to love this message? Is this, are they going to think I'm smart? Like, man, you're in trouble if that's where your starting point. No, no, no. This is about help me help people. And then I found when I pray through those notes, it really turns into a 30 minute prayer versus a 30 minute message. Yeah. It hits differently. Um, and so th- those are a couple of things. That's good. Yeah. I think really a big deal is uh, you've got to have your identity question of, figured out before you head out to teach, because if it's all about you and people liking you, sometimes I found the guy, you know, that has got his arms folded. You're thinking, oh man, he's rejecting everything. No, he's struggling, man. He's struggling. And he's actually being more impacted by what you're saying. And he's not liking it, but he's being impacted versus the person that always comes up to you and says, that's the best message I've ever heard in my life. And that one makes me feel good. But the guy with his arms folded is experiencing potentially more transformation. And you got to get yeah. that. You, if you don't get the, if the young pastors that are listening, don't get this identity thing figured out. It's going to swallow you up and spit you out. Don't you think? It, it sure will. If you live off a of compliment, you will die by criticism. Hey, listen, you're absolutely, that's good. Say that again. If you, if you live off a compliment, you'll die by criticism. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard that phrase. Uh, uh, one criticism plus a thousand compliments equals one criticism because you'll just <laughs> be totally focused, totally focused on that. You know, yes. I had, we had a, we had a, a, a good family of ours, uh, leave to go to a different church and, uh, yes. and I'm, oh my gosh. And I just was just, I'm still, I'm 33 years into this man. And I still was still bugging me. So I just reached out to them. I didn't know. And they said, well, it has not, and we love this church and it's all of this. It says, we're just taking a little bit of different position on the LBGTQ. A community uh, where they're both physicians and they said we just want to be in a place that's a little bit more a uh, little bit more uh, progressive and open to that and I got man I totally get it it's really really hard and I have a good friend in town that's way more in that in that venue and I said it's the big C church and and I just found out it wasn't because I'm a bad preacher I thought oh I could live with that you know <laughs> yeah 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 no doubt no doubt hey, listen let me um one of the things that a lot of people are talking about uh, is that COVID in, in some ways awor- awakened uh, church leaders to focus less on attendance and more on engagement. Mm. Uh, do you, do you agree with that? What do you, what do you think? And how does that affect the way you approach ministry? Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If, if your metrics are all about, uh, attendance and given the fact that, you know, average church 40 to 60% pre COVID numbers, you're going to be depressed if that's your, that's your metric. You know, I I've always leaned on, you know, um, Paul planted Apollos water, but God gives the increase at the end of the day, you got to worry about inputs, not outcomes. So, uh, and I learned during COVID, we went a year and two weeks where we couldn't gather by government mandate. So I'm preaching to 10 people that recording, you know what, Randy, I learned to preach with some fire shut up in my bones. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about how many people are there or even drawing energy off of whoever you're preaching to. I, I think there just comes a moment where you're called to preach and you got to let it rip and do what you do. So, uh, yes, I think engagement has become huge for us. Um, less concerned about those macro numbers and more concerned about who is uh, in the upper zoom. And we just spun off some prayer pods. How many people are praying in that kind of way? Uh, How many people are plugged into small groups? So they're in community with eight or 10 or 12 people that they can do life with much more focused on, on those pieces than just someone who walks through the door and a little clicker gets clicked, right? Yeah, yeah we've got to. Yeah. yeah, that feeds our ego, and uh, and I'm and I like attendance, I do, but I but I've really been awake. It's been a wake up call. So if uh, we did a, a fasting initiative, so I got to teach on fasting, but the question is, how many people came along with us in the journey? And so mm. we measured that, and 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 uh, that really helped us. We did a marriage initiative uh, with the parrots on, you know, we want you to guys to get a, like a, a checkup on your marriage. So I did a marriage series, a, a family series. The question was not how many people showed up to listen to me, but how many people did this assessment and did four date nights together and then mm. went to these four classes and you know and really looking at those numbers i'm getting a lot of satisfaction out of that mark after 30 years and just uh, maybe uh, covid helped me to sort of uh, wake up to the fact that you have to pay attention to the numbers that's really important but it needs to be down the list a little bit wouldn't you think yeah we we during lent we decided to leverage 
that and do uh, challenge our church to, to fast uh, and do a John Wesley fast. Oh. It's uh, from sundown Wednesday to sundown Thursday. And we had more than 400 people. But by the way, Wesley wouldn't ordain anybody to the Methodist ministry who wasn't willing to fast once a week. Oh. And I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so we had more than 400 people who said, hey, we're going to fast uh, 24 hours once a week. That's the kind of engagement, Randy, where, okay, I can work with that. And just a reminder to leaders, you know, who might be discouraged because the numbers aren't as big as they once were. Listen, all God needs is 120 people who will pray for 10 days in an upper room. That's all God needs. All That's God all needs is a remnant. Yeah. And uh, some really good things can happen. That is awesome. Hey, I want to talk about a couple of your books. I mean, you've got 19 books, and I just I, I, I just brought out two of them because I thought they might have a, a little bit of interesting twist on engagement. So the first one is Whisper, which talks about how to hear the voice of God. So that's a that's a good topic related to engaging God's word. That seems to to, to be super pertinent to Bible and spiritual engagement. I'd love to uh, uh, talk uh, have you talk about a little bit about that book and 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 how you were teaching that and writing that uh, to get people to engage the voice of God. Yeah, it's almost the seven love languages of God. In other words, the way the way that God speaks to us. And I want to say this up front that uh, scripture is the the centerpiece. Yeah, uh, that's the key to the whole thing. But just as God did in scripture, I still think he 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 speaks through uh, people and and uh, pain and and uh, he, he speaks through doors and dreams and desires, like God speaks in all of these different ways. And the big question is, who is the loudest voice in your life? Is it the still small voice of the Holy Spirit? Right. Or is it is it the voice of culture or even the voice of condemnation? Because the enemy can be pretty loud. Uh, maybe another way that I've been asking that question, Randy, is, what percentage of your thoughts, words, and actions are a reflection of uh, the social media that you're following and the, and the news that you're watching? And what percentage of your words, thoughts, and actions are a revelation that you're getting from God's word? Mm. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that we are overly influenced by what we're ingesting uh, via news and, and social media. And we got to make sure that we're taking our cues uh, from scripture. I think that's so powerful and more pertinent today. Again, we talked about the ideology and where the information is coming from. And I think a lot of people are thinking that they're being innovative, with, uh, but they're really just kind of moving along with culture, uh, what I'm seeing. And, and, and I, I, love, I love the Whisper book. Uh, and you even also wrote a, a version for kids as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I, what a joy. Um, it, it was so fun, Randy, you know, as, as fathers, you'll, you'll appreciate this, that, you know, I, we turned a few of these trade books into, um, essentially picture books for kids, kind of bedtime yeah. storybooks. So God Speaks in Whispers is a beautiful little book that my daughter Summer and I wrote together. Yeah, I saw that. And I've, I've got to give her credit for most of the rhyming. Uh, <laughs> she's pretty gifted. And, uh, and then The Blessing of You uh, is another beautiful little book. That What we're trying to do is I have, I have memories of my parents reading to me. Uh -huh. And some of my favorite memories are reading to Summer when she was a little girl. And so now to be able to, to co-author a few of those children's books uh, for parents uh, is pretty, pretty special, pretty meaningful, and I think can create some of those divine appointments when you're tucking the kids into bed. What I love about it is that you're not just teaching about hearing the voice of God, but you're really creating an experience where people are, are really actually given tools and really an expectation to actually hear the voice of God, not just hear about hearing the voice of God. All right, let's shift to uh, do it for a day. You talk about Bible engagement, you know, that's like being doers of the word, not hearers only. So tell us about the do it for a day project concept. I mean, that's all about engagement, isn't it? It, it is. And uh, it, everything comes back to habit formation. In fact, spiritual formation is habit formation. That yeah. <laughs> uh, You cannot separate those two things. In fact, I would suggest that the Sermon on the Mount is six counter habits. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. 
turn the other cheek, go the extra mile and give the shirt off of your back. Those are six counter habits. You know, theologians call them the six antitheses, but I, I, I see it as six counter habits. And so do it for a day is about uh, 30 days to make or break any habit. And you have to make or break the habits that are going to make or break you. And so if, if I can help you do something 30 days in a row, there's a good chance that we have formed a new habit. And so it's me kind of taking folks on a journey. um, And uh, whatever habit you need to make or break, I I know exactly how it's going to happen. It's going to happen one day at a time. And that's kind of the, the, the key to the whole thing. And, and that's a very biblical concept. Give us this day, our daily bread, uh, living, living in daytight compartments. What I love about this, and again, as it relates to the topic of engagement of scripture is, um, you know, one idea is uh, you link your sermon up to maybe what the small group's discussing to your personal study. So that's sort of still an intellectual sort of communal kind of thing. But what you're doing with, uh, with uh, this Uh, book and project and the teaching is that you are encouraging people to develop new spiritual habits in their life. And so ultimate engagement is not just studying along with you. That's kind of level one. The next level is really getting in there and saying, okay, dig down and try these things in the power of the Holy Spirit to see if it can can change, change who you are as a person, not just make you smarter about the Bible, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, Mark, a couple more things here. This is a big, uh, two big questions, and then, then I'm going to let you go. What is the number one thing that is discouraging you right now? And what's the number one thing you're encouraged about? Is that yeah. too much to lay on you? It's not. I am concerned about culture mm. and where we're headed. It seems like everybody is blaming everybody for everything. Mm. and and so i would flip it and say this is our moment to stand in the gap as peacemakers grace givers truth tellers tone setters Uh, we are here for such a time as this for such a place as this this is you need light when it's dark (laughs) and you need salt in so a it's a time for like us to be. This. So, and while it's the most discouraging thing, it's also could be conversely yeah. the most encouraging thing because this is our moment to shine because that's it not is. who we are. It is, and uh, now that means we've got to get some things right. You, you know, with with the racial tension of political polarization, how do we function as a spiritual family and love each other? not just in spite of, but because of our differences? How do we celebrate um, different ethnicities? And, and how do we at least listen to those who have different opinions? We, we have four principles of peacemaking at NCC. Ask anything, listen well, ask anything, disagree freely, and love regardless. Those four yeah. things kind of guide us in having those hard conversations. Those hard conversations aren't going away. Uh, what, what we need to do is be a little bit better at grace and truth. Grace means I'll, I'll never give up on you. Truth means I'll be honest with you no matter what. And those two things combined uh, are tough love. That's how we love people with grace and with truth. And if we keep doing that, then we're following in the footsteps of Jesus and good things will happen. That is so great. Now, uh, I ask you the one thing that you're most encouraged about. Is that the converse side of that or do you have something else? <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's probably uh, I, I just have to keep going to the back of the book. You know, this, <laughs> this is an open book test. And, and listen, every nation, tribe, people and language, the day is coming when we will surround the throne of God and we will worship him in all those different languages in all those different ways, God's going to get the glory, the kingdoms of this world. That includes Russia, Ukraine, things that are happening that are so uh, challenging on the world front. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And so we've got to keep remembering the past remembering the future and uh, taking it one day at a time. And, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say I will build your church. He didn't say you will build my church. He said, I will build my church church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it man that is really tough that is really tough stuff i love it love it love it um i always ask everybody this this is how we'll wrap up is that you could be king 
you know, mark for the day. Whatever you say, everybody has to do. Okay. If you could just take one thing, whether you're talking to pastors or just to the congregants, okay. You, okay. You can't ask me any questions. You can't ask why. You just have to do it. Uh, do you have a thought on what that one thing would be? Wow. Okay. Well, I'll give you a serious answer. But before I do that, I said, if I ever ran for political office, I would have two planks, one mandatory national nap time. I just think we would be happier and healthier. Jesus took a nap in the boat. So I'm a big believer in a nap time Uh, Two pure maple syrup. Just call me crazy. But I think pure maple maple syrup is really, really good. Uh, So those would be my two planks. But perhaps on a more serious note. Um, you ever heard of the human library in Denmark? No, uh, you can check out a person and hear their story. And I, I think Randy, if we're going to get anywhere, we've got to get much better at listening to people's stories. And m- maybe it doesn't, that doesn't change my theology, but it changes my empathy. Mm. And so now, now, I, I see you for who you are, and I, I just think God gave us two ears, one mouth. We got to use them in that proportion. Mm. And uh, in fact, Francis Schaeffer said that if he had an hour to share the gospel, uh, I think he said uh, he would take the first fifty-five minutes and listen. Yeah, and then the last five minutes he would share yeah. the gospel. So, I think that's prophetic, my friend. Even though you lead a nonprofit ministry, uh, <laughs> that is prophetic. I love that. I think that's spot on. The Christian community is going to uh, get so much headway if we will uh, if we will listen, uh, realizing that listening does not change our theology. That's great. Hey, Mark, uh, if, if there's anything else you want to share that I didn't cover, we can do that. But I also want you to know we'll we'll link everything we talked about in the show notes, like your books and things like that. We want to make sure that people know where to find you. Yeah, just uh, all of my social handles, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Mark Batterson, and, uh, and then markbatterson.com. And Randy, as authors, I think we both know that, that books, you pour your heart and soul into it. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. But I feel like it's a way that I can hang out with anyone, anywhere for about five or six hours. And if you're, if you're a slow reader, we can hang out longer than that. Um, you know, so I uh, would love to engage with people in that way. Yeah, that is awesome, my friend. Thank you, Mark, for giving us all this time. It's going to be so helpful to so many people. And uh, I'm going to be uh, out your way in D.C. soon. We'll grab some coffee and take in a sermon. And uh, just love what you're doing and love that I got to parallel in ministry with you during these last 25, 30 years, my friend. Love you. I love it. Thanks for listening to the Bible Roots Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and energized by our discussion today. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review. This small gesture will help more church leaders discover our conversations around Bible engagement. And don't forget, like and subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Now, may your faith be strengthened through God's word today and every day.